I'm going to read just verses 1 through 11 of Psalm 22, and then I'm going to invite you, if you would, to keep your Bibles open during the message so that we can refer back to a number of the various Scripture passages in Psalm 22 and also Psalm 31. Psalm 22, the first 11 verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Again, keep your Bibles open, but let's open with a word of prayer before we look further at these psalms. Jesus, we thank you for your coming into our midst, not only to to teach us, not only to show us what it looks like to live a perfect life, but to give yourself, your life's blood for us, the ultimate sacrifice, a sacrifice that never will be repeated and never needs be repeated for our sins. As we enter into a little bit of your passion, as we glimpse a little bit at your suffering this evening, we pray that you would help us not only to understand but to to grasp the truths of, of these words in Scripture and to help us understand what your hope was even while hanging on the cross. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Many years ago at this time, our country was abuzz with talk about the movie The Passion of the Christ. Maybe some of you remember that. Hollywood, ironically, deplored it as unnecessarily violent, but many found that it helped them enter into the suffering or the passion of Jesus. Unfortunately, director Mel Gibson focused so much attention on the beatings that Jesus received that his suffering on the cross almost seemed like an afterthought. And yet I would suggest to you that It was there on the cross where his true and deepest suffering occurred. This evening we've been exploring that suffering by listening to some of Jesus' own words as he hung on the cross. You know by now, if you didn't already, that there are seven words from the cross. But you may not have noticed that no single author, no single gospel writer records all of them. John records three. Dear woman, here's your son, here's your mother. I am thirsty, and it is finished. Luke records three. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
Matthew and Mark include only one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of these words deal with Jesus' concern for others, his mother, his crucifiers, the thief on the cross. One deals specifically with his physical thirst. But three in particular give us insight into the emotional and spiritual as well as physical suffering of Jesus on the cross. The agony of forsakenness and and resignation. And of these, two have a direct connection to the Psalms. And I want to look at those two this, this evening, the one that we just read and the one that will be the final word we will read in this service. For Matthew and Mark, one word from the cross was sufficient to capture from his lips Jesus' agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's memorable. If only for its shock value. What's Jesus saying? Is he experiencing doubts? He who calls us to have faith that can move mountains? Is he complaining to the Father even like he complained in the Garden of Gethsemane to his disciples as they kept falling asleep while he prayed? Certainly this cry is fitting as darkness comes over the land in the middle of the day. A picture of God turning away from Jesus his shining face, symbolic throughout Scripture of God's presence, of God's favor. Now, in the Apostles' Creed, we confess, among other things about Jesus, that he descended into hell. As Reformed Christians, according to Heidelberg Catechism, question answer 44, we understand that hell happened ultimately on the cross for Jesus. I think particularly in these three hours of darkness, when God turns away his, his face, his presence, when Jesus is separated from God, after all, perhaps the best definition of hell is separation from God. But why would God turn his back? The Bible says in Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, and Paul quotes it in Galatians 3.13, Cursed is anyone hung on the tree. Cursed. Cursed by God. So as Jesus hung there on the cross, he was blackened with all the sin of the human race. The sin of Adam and Judas, of Adolf Hitler and Osama bin Laden, of you and of me. And he was cursed because of it, because of us. He paid the penalty, the wages of sin is death, that you and I could never bear. And in the darkness of his suffering, Jesus reached back to a psalm he had learned as a boy to express his emotion, his agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew why. But in his passion, the emotions of his heart burst forth from his lips. But was there more than this? A reading of Psalm 22 in light of Jesus' crucifixion is nothing less than eerie. Look at Psalm 22 once again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? 
My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Look at verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. In verse 14, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. They cast lots. For my garments. In these words, we hear echoes of the cross. Spoken, however, not as a record of the cross as we have in the Gospels, but spoken as a prophecy back in Psalm 22. Now certainly David felt this way. He felt these things as he penned this psalm. But Jesus literally lived them or died them. In one verse then, Jesus just, the half a verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus brings to mind and heart all of the emotions and agony and images of this psalm. It prophesies and describes his passion, his suffering. Later, Luke records Jesus committing his spirit to the Lord. He's suffered all his physical and emotional body can bear, not the least of which were the torments of hell. He's about to die, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. On the one hand, it seems that Jesus has gotten beyond the complaints or doubts about God's forsakenness, willing to give his spirit into the hands of the Father. But on the other hand, some people read into these words a sense of resignation. Failure, perhaps. What is it? Well, it's another quote, this time from Psalm 31. You, I invite you to turn over with me to Psalm 31. And it comes in verse 5. Where there David in a psalm very similar to the Psalm 22 says in verse 5, Into your hands I commit my spirit. In fact, later in the psalm, we, we hear a very similar sense of, of suffering and of resignation. Look at verse 9. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I'm the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. 
And then a little later in verse 22, in my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight. There's that idea of separation again. So what's going on here as Jesus quotes the psalm? Is he, is he giving up as he nears the end? We have to remember that during this all, Jesus was drinking the cup the Father had asked him to drink. But it wasn't easy. In his human nature, he struggled with it, even asking God in the Garden of Gethsemane if there might be another way. Because Jesus knew well what the cup represented, especially from the Old Testament. It was the cup of God's wrath against sin. So he, the only innocent man ever to live, died for the sins of the whole world. He experienced the fury of God's wrath against not just one sin or not just one sinner, but against the sin and rebellion of all people, not the least of which was that hellish separation from the Father. But the torment was not just emotional and spiritual. Everyone from historians and archaeologists to doctors of medicine and psychology confirm that there is more, no more excruciating kind of death than crucifixion. In fact, we even take a word from it. Excruciating comes from the Latin excrucius, out of the cross. They had to actually invent a word to talk about the pain of the cross. So Jesus had, had been rung through the ringer emotionally, spiritually, physically. He'd completed his task. It is finished, John records him as saying. Now it was time to go home, to let his passion, his suffering end. He had earned the right to rest in peace. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If we leave it there, with the surface picture that these words bring to mind, if we are simply satisfied to dwell on the passion, the suffering of Christ, willing to wait until the third day, Easter Sunday, to find any hope, then we'd be doing Jesus and ourselves a disservice. Because much more is being said here than what first meets the eye or the ear. In fact, if we really had eyes to see and ears to hear, as Jesus constantly implored his disciples, then calling that Friday good Friday would be much, have much less irony and much more reality to it. In this case, it helps to have Hebrew eyes and ears because what Jesus is doing from the cross is a very Jewish thing. Even in his agony, he never stops being the rabbi, never stops teaching. What is he teaching us? What is he telling his disciples? He's using a method he used throughout his life called remez, alluding to an Old Testament passage with a word, an image, a phrase, or a direct quote, which is entire, intended to refer to the entire passage, the entire context, or in the case of a psalm, to refer to the entire psalm. So, to understand what Jesus is saying in all its fullness, we need to understand these psalms. So, I want to just spend a couple of moments 
with an overview of these psalms. First, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is about God the Deliverer. And in order to understand Jesus' words of God-forsakenness, we must hear the rest of the psalm from which Jesus quotes the first verse. Yes, undoubtedly, Jesus felt forsaken. As he hung in that darkness, God having turned his face for a time at least, he had to hang on the cross and endure the suffering alone. No one else could relieve him. No one else could take his place like he took ours. Listen again to the agony in verse 11. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. But there's some other verses we have to look at. Turn back with me to verses 3 through 5. Because we see Jesus clinging to his trust in the God of his fathers. Verse 3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. He's, he's saying, I know who you are, Father. I believe all that Israel has believed through the years about who you are. But then most importantly, from the cross, Jesus lets his disciples and us know the truth in verse 24. Look at verse 24. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your shining face away from me? That expresses Jesus' emotion for the time. But verse 24 expresses his trust. He has not been forsaken by the Father. God has not ultimately turned his face from him. Now Psalm 22 is originally about how the Lord responds to David a godly sufferer victimized by the vicious and prolonged attacks of enemies. Not only Jesus, but other gospel writers saw in the passion of Jesus the fulfillment of this cry of the righteous sufferer. The righteous sufferer, first David, but ultimately Jesus. In fact, no psalm is quoted more often in the New Testament than Psalm 22. Jesus never meant his quote in verse 1 as an expression of complaint or doubt. He always meant for us to know the whole psalm as his disciples would have. He always meant for us to take in the big picture that in the end, no matter how forsaken we might feel, God is the deliverer of the righteous sufferer. So perhaps Jesus meant us to hear a couple of things beyond his agony. One, that in fact he was a righteous sufferer. He was innocent for the crimes for which he died. But secondly, I think Jesus is saying it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. Easter Sunday. And God will deliver him. God will vindicate him because he has not despised or scorned the suffering of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. That theme gets verified further in Psalm 31. As we gain the perspective of the entire psalm, we find that it's not a, a psalm of defeat or concession, but rather of trust and deliverance. 
We already get a hint of that in Luke's account where we find that Jesus did not sigh when he said these words from the cross. No, he called it out in a loud voice. He did not breathe his last with a spirit of failure or resignation, but with a shout of expectant victory. Notice the context of the quote. Let's start with the first verse of Psalm 31. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me from the trap that's set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. There's no concession here, but a trust in the Father as his rock, his fortress, his refuge, his deliverer. He has such confidence in God that he can put his spirit into his hands in order to be redeemed. Listen further in verses 14 through 16. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. And then here we have that language again. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. He's once again, as he was at the end of Psalm 22, looking forward to the shining face of God's presence. Then the psalm ends in expectant praise. Verse 21, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. When I was in a city under siege, in my alarm I said, I'm cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. And then I think perhaps especially words for his followers in the coming days. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. What did all this mean for his disciples at the foot of the cross? What does it mean for us? Not only will and has God raised Jesus from the dead, but if we commit our spirit into his hands, he will vindicate and deliver us as well. So in both Psalms, we find that suffering, forsakenness, resignation do not have the last word on the cross. Not for David, not for Jesus. With both Psalms, Jesus affirms his trust in the Father for his vindication, expresses his hope for the future, and gives his disciples and us a glimpse that Easter Sunday is coming. Would you join me in prayer? And once again, we'll read a prayer in unison. Let's pray together. Almighty God, who forsook your Son upon the cross, Showing the world your judgment upon human sin and guilt, grant us upon hearing his cry the grace to know that believe that we will never be forsaken, that he is present with us even to the end of the age, for the sake of Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on the cross. Amen. Let's continue to worship God and and remind ourselves of his suffering and thank him for it.
as we sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Would you stand as we sing? Thank you. 